Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Does picking an outfit have you running a little too fashionably late? We get it. Great taste takes time. That's why Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery, has your back with the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, delivered in under 60 minutes. Convenience never goes out of style. So if you need to spend some extra time in the mirror instead of at the store, download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. One, two, three. Clint, the first rule of show business is always leave them wanting more. But it's hard to do. In this episode, we talk about the artists that walked away on their own terms. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. Each episode deals with another question in music fandom. The kind of questions that Clint and I have been debating since we were in college. So today, with the help of some smart people, we're going to come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is... Who walked away at their peak? That's the age-old question. Leave them wanting more. It's hard to do, Clint, isn't it? It is. Many people have tried. Sports, too. How do you leave on top? But there are actually a few examples of artists stepping away from their massive success on their own terms, leaving the audience wanting more. Start us off. Well, we're not talking about death here. We're not talking about right. Janis Joplin. We're not talking about Jimi Hendrix. Kurt Cobain. We're talking about... Because those people didn't walk away. Right. They were taken away. We're talking about people that, for one reason or another, decided to not do it anymore. So I'm going to start off with somebody, a duo. Okay. And they're from the early 90s. Okay. Late 80s, early 90s. Hmm. A band called... Millie Vanilli. Millie Vanilli. Now, you may think that they didn't walk away. Yes. But they did walk away. Okay. They were forced away, but they were at their peak, man. They were humongous. Huge. They had won the Grammy for Best New Artist. They had four number one hits. I mean, they were crushing. Four number one hits. And then it all went south. And they just stepped away. They've gone beyond platinum and become international stars. But behind the braids and the breakdancing, it turns out, there's a soundtrack by someone else. Rob Pilatus and Fab Morvan are Millie Vanilli, but they're not the singers heard on the group's 7 million record albums. Just last year, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences named Millie Vanilli Best New Artist. The award may now be withdrawn. It was their producer who blew the whistle, reportedly concerned when Rob and Fab said they wanted to be heard on their next album. So I guess you're technically right. They were exposed as being not the singers. And it was not them. They were pawns in this guy's whole scheme. And it's the saddest story in the world. It really is. Like these poor dudes just wanted to sing on their own records and the guy wouldn't let them. So here's the story. Yeah. 
The group was founded by Frank Farian in 1988. This guy, Frank, sees these two guys, and they're very pretty guys. They're very attractive dudes. They got great dance moves. They can sing. So Frank invites them to his studio. He's got these tracks that we now know as Millie Vanilli tracks. Has the guys sing the tracks, and he's not that impressed. So he gets a couple other guys to come in here, finish the record. Right. Sends them out on tour. Does the grind. Like, they just hit the road hard. And they're lip-syncing. And they're lip-syncing. And the whole time, they're like, Frank, when are we going to get to sing? We can sing. Let us sing. Why are you doing this to us? He's like, at the next one, you're going to sing. Don't worry. Just, we got to follow this through because we're hitting right now. You can't back out now. And he keeps stringing them along. Keep stringing them along. Next record, you're going to sing. Don't worry. You got this. You got this. So what are you doing back? Well, I sat back and thought about the things we used to do. It really meant a lot to me. You mean a lot to me. I really mean that much to you? Girl, you know it's true. So now it's July 21st, 1989. A live performance on MTV. They're singing their song. Yeah. And the record starts to skip. And Rob is on stage and it's him singing the chorus and it starts skipping and he just freaks out and he runs off stage. to die it stopped girl you know it's girl you know it's girl 80,000 people girl you know it's girl you know, you know I couldn't repeat it 15 times girl you know, it got obvious still. so I stopped I panicked I ran off stage truly brown who used to work for MTV ran after me I didn't want to go back to stage I had enough 80,000 people waiting I said I have enough I quit. He knew from that moment on it was like the end of the road. They ended up winning the Grammy for Best New Artist in 1990. Sadly, it was taken away from them, which is crazy, right? They think about, the way I think about this is how is this any different than autotune? It is no different in any way than autotune. You're you're scamming the public now with pop music, right? Just because these... I mean, I get it. They didn't sing it. And on the record, it said they sang it. But that was all this Frank Farian guy. So let's get back to their story. So they get exposed. They get exposed. They take the Grammy away. They take it away. Rob kind of loses it a little bit. He gets like arrested. He does drugs. He, he, He was put in jail for assault. Starts drinking heavily. Hits rock bottom. Hits rock bottom. And... Eventually, they found him dead in a hotel room in Frankfurt, Germany, of a alcohol and prescription drug overdose. And he was 32 years old. So this guy who was on top of the world, but the whole time know, knowing it was a lie. Right. And it would just eat at them. and they like, Just waiting to be wait, found out yeah, as a fraud. What a terrible feeling. And the whole time being like, I don't want to do this. You know, like, let's, let us sing it. But he was vilified. For no reason. I mean, what's the difference between lip syncing and autotune? Really? The autotune makes you sound like something you're not. Like some of these people can't sing, but they sing in perfect pitch. They're faking it too. So anyway, I feel real bad for these guys. That It's not really walking away at their peak. He was sort of escorted away. Escorted away. Which is, I guess, walking. It's a sad story. It's a type of walking. They were at their peak. I mean, I remember Millie Vanilli. 
I mean, I had the jams. I had the dance moves. I knew exactly what was hip. sued Millie Vanilli. They sued and won. Give us our money back. Give us our money back. This is not what we bought. Yep. Who does that? That's crazy talk. Get a life. Anyway. All right. Who's your first one? I'm going to start with a band that I would contend has more talent than those guys. Okay. The, the Police. <laughs> okay. I would agree. The fifth and final studio album was Synchronicity from 1983. You and I have talked many Maybe, times yeah on this show about the fact that we do a series called select sessions where we celebrate one album. And I think the fifth or sixth show we did was yeah. synchronicity. And it blew my mind. It's so good. It's so good. so good. It was their most successful release, including hits like every breath you take. King of Pain. Wrapped around your finger. And Synchronicity 2. album won three Grammys and when they were touring behind that album they were by just about every measure the biggest band in the world and yet they walked away or really Sting walked away during the Synchronicity World Tour the band played at Shea Stadium and it was apparently during this time that Sting thought, this is Everest. This is the peak. And he decided that he needed to walk away. My instinct was that we'd achieved everything we could possibly have thought to achieve, tenfold, a hundredfold. After that, you get diminishing returns of satisfaction. So I needed to take another risk with my life. And, uh, of course, I had momentum because of the success of the police. Whatever I did next, people would be at least curious. Mm -hmm. And so I used that momentum to kind of boost me into another career. But it was a risk. But I think art, art is always about taking a risk. In our very first episode, we talked about how Sting avoided the trap of the expert and being a prisoner to the band's legacy by taking a massive left turn. He assembled a band of jazz musicians, Kenny Kirkland on keyboards, who'd played with Dizzy Gillespie and Elvin Jones, Branford Marsalis on saxophone, 
Daryl Jones on bass, who had been in the Miles Davis band and would later join the Stones, the Rolling Stones, where he's still playing right. in the Rolling Stones. Not a member. Not a member. <laughs> Never in any press no. photos. And Omar Hakim on drums, who had been in the Weather Report and would later go on to drum in Dire Straits for the Brothers in Arms record. Together, this jazz band backed Sting to record songs for his solo debut, Dream of the Blue Turtles. This was a big commercial hit and was nominated for four Grammys. Here again is his interview with Rick Beato talking about how ultimately he was seeking a bigger palette than the police could offer. You know, I just wanted a larger palette. And the three pieces is a wonderful vehicle. But uh, it's limited. Yeah. You know, drums, bass, and, and guitar. And I, th- I think we achieved an amazing amount of stuff in, in the, the short time we were together. Very unique. But I just wanted a broader palette because I was song-driven and not necessarily band-driven. Right. So I, I then started to form bands which, which could play whatever I wanted to write. So the, f- the first album that I did without the police was with Branford and Kenny Kirkland and, um, you know... Uh, Omar. Omar. And uh, Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones, fantastic group, all from the jazz world. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing, but the palette was widened. And then, you know, I formed a band with, with, with Dominic and Vinny and um, David Sanctious. Uh, but they, they had a breadth of experience in playing any kind of genre. So whatever I felt like writing, they could help me do it. of all music is surprise. When I listen to a piece of music, if I'm not surprised within the first eight bars, I've stopped listening. (laughs) I've switched off. I need surprise. Dominic and I both have a teacher called J.S. Bach, and he he play eight measures of Bach, and you're surprised every time. Every time. Every time. And then the next eight bars and the next eight bars. So composition is really about surprise. The police did reunite to play three concerts for the Amnesty International Tour in 1986. And they got back together in the studio to record a sixth studio album. But the night before, Stuart Copeland fell off his horse and broke his collarbone. And according to the guitarist Andy Summers, that meant we lost the chance of recovering some of the rapport that we could get just by jamming together. You know, we stopped at the absolute peak, and that was really because of his 
you know, lusts for a solo career, which he did, you know, to the shock of the world and you know, to his own success with it and all the rest of it. But I think the real truth is that we were all in this amazing band and that none of us, no matter what we do, are ever going to really transcend that fact. It's just like the Beatles. You, yeah. You're never going to get past that. I don't know if anybody's done a bigger left turn. He walked away from this massive success yeah. that was the police. And he knew in his heart of hearts that he still had it and that he was not going anywhere. Right. But it's tough to walk away from the biggest band in the world. Tough to walk away when you're playing stadiums. Man. My next one is a band from Atlanta, Georgia. Outcast. Oh. So Outcast was a hip hop duo formed in 1992 in East Point, Georgia, consisting of Andre 3000 and Antoine Big Boy Pat. Yeah, this one right here goes out to all the babies, mamas, mamas. Andre 3000 is known by other rappers as one of the greatest rappers of all time. Such a distinct, distinct sound voice, voice yeah. yeah. And lyrically, he's witty and funny and quick. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Just really interesting. They they took hip hop to a new place. It's very musical. Yeah, right. Miss Jackson. Miss Jackson. Yeah, just I mean, hey ya. One, two, three. not like hip-hop at the time or even now really it's like its own brand right they were huge in the mid-90s to the early 2000s and they did like funk psychedelia jazz techno they had all these things very eclectic very eclectic and so in 2003 they released their double album speaker box slash the love below and so that had hey yeah so it won grammy for album of the year they next released the soundtrack for the 2006 film Idlewild, which they also starred in. Now in 2007, they go on hiatus. They did reunite in 2014 to celebrate their 20th anniversary by performing at more than 40 festivals worldwide, oh. beginning at the Coachella Festival in April. And then, that was it. No more outcast. You think you got it, fool. You think you got it, but got it, just don't get it, because there's nothing at all. They're recognized as one of the most successful hip-hop groups of all time, receiving six Grammy Awards, and Rolling Stone ranked them number seven on its list of the greatest duos of all time. So, what happened? So, Andre 3000 was just interviewed by Rick Rubin. This is the quote that really sums it up. He says, My focus is not there. My confidence is not there. I tinker a lot. I'll just go to a piano and I'll set my iPhone down and just record what I'm doing movement my fingers and whatever happens, but I haven't been motivated to do a serious project. So he lost confidence, lost drive, just at the top of their game. Guy just didn't want to do it anymore. Stopped making music. I was reading this thing. He like goes to open mic nights 
and like plays flute. And like just doesn't want anything to do with the industry. He just completely stepped away. It's interesting. In a lot of ways, this conversation is a companion piece to can you write a masterpiece after the age of 40? Hmm. And, you know, for all the reasons we talked about in that episode as to why it's so difficult to do that, you become a prisoner to your legacy. Right. People want to define you by what you've done before and are less interested in having you break the mold. You become massively wealthy and you no longer live a life that is relatable in any meaningful way to an audience. Right. I wonder if some of those things played in must have to what he was going through yeah. that he now he's this odd recluse who goes to open mic nights playing the flute. Yeah. I don't know. So, outcast. That's a good one. What else you got? We have to discuss the Beatles, of course. When the Beatles broke up officially in early 1970, they were still massive, arguably the biggest band in the world, right? Yes. In fact, their last recorded album, Abbey Road, is arguably their best work. Yes. It's hard to argue with the fact, Clint, that the Beatles walked away at their peak. Hard to argue. Right? Yep. I've heard Jerry Seinfeld say on a number of occasions that when he was trying to decide when he should end his TV show, his massively successful show, Seinfeld... turn to the lesson provided by the Beatles for knowing when was enough. It was such a big thing in my life mm-hmm. to try and figure that out in the moment. Yeah. When do I end this? And you're inside the organization. It. It's just hard to do because oh. you can't see the show. I don't even know what who, I don't even know what these people like about it so much. Who did you turn to when you were making that dis- did you, who did you have anybody in your Honestly, life that was yeah. The Beatles. Really? The Beatles. They were on speed dial? or Well, no, because the Beatles ended too soon for me. Uh-huh. And it was nine. It was also nine years. Uh-huh. And it was the, something about the single digit, ten years. So people say, how many years did you do that show? Ten years. Oh, geez. Right. That was a long time. Right. Now, how many years did you do that show? Nine years. Wow. Didn't seem, it seemed a lot less. It really does. You know? Yeah, it really and does. And when the Beatles did nine years, and, I, and that hunger for the Beatles that has lasted my whole life. Right. When I, whenever the song a Beatles song comes on the radio, I r- reach for the volume and turn it up because yeah. I still haven't gotten enough of them. Wow. That was my that was really how I made the decision. Wow, Beatles, nine years. That is amazing. It's enough. When is enough? Sorry, <laughs> that's good. That's good. What's the opposite of walking away at your peak? Consider this: the Rolling Stones just kicked off their 60th anniversary tour. Wow, that's more than. 50 years longer than the Beatles. Wow. Some other bands that have lasted long past their peak. You ready? Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers, formed in 1983. Mm-hmm. Still, Still relevant, playing. though. In in a way. Past their peak. Past their peak. Me- Metallica, formed in 1981. Would you say they're still peaking? No, but they're still relevant in, in a nostalgia way. Aerosmith peaked they're 52 years in wow contemporaries of the beatles that are still playing the who formed in 1964 still going 58 years yeah the beach boys formed in 1961 i think mike love is the only Only, original member but they're still still touring still touring rolling stone magazine recently named its official selection of the longest running band 
And it's none of those bands I just mentioned. What? Their pick, U2, formed in 1978. And you're doing some quick cocktail napkin math and saying out loud, but Rich, Clint, 44 years for U2 is less than 60 years for the Rolling Stones. That's true. But we're not going to play Rich and Clint or Boneheads just yet. All right. We'll play <laughs> it just, just because. One time. Just one time. One time. <laughs> Rich and Clint but in this instance, we're not boneheads. Rolling Stone magazine cites the fact that this lineup of U2 has remained unchanged since 1978. While those other bands have seen a number of lineup changes, the Rolling Stones alone have, have seen Brian Jones die, Ian Stewart leave, Mick Taylor come and go, Bill Wyman retire, and Charlie just died. Mm-hmm. But U2, in contrast, has always been Bono, The Edge, Adam, and Larry. Wow. So she woke up, woke up from where she was, lying still, said I gotta do something about where we're going. Wow. I like that. So this is something we're talking about, and we're interested to hear from our listeners. Are you interested in us doing a live recording of the age-old question? Let us know. And if so, what is the question? What's the question? It's got to be a good one. I think it'd be fun. I think you know if we came to a theater and did a live recording of the age-old question, we'd call up some, sure. some of our guests. Yeah. Or have a live guest. Or have a live like guest. Like get a real banger live guest, you know? All right, what's your next? My next one is another one that's kind of questionable if they walked away at their peak, but one of the members walked away from one of the biggest bands in the world. So here we are. Okay. R.E.M. That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and airplane. Lenny Bruce is not afraid. American rock band from Athens, Georgia. Formed in 1980 by drummer Bill Berry, guitarist Peter Buck, bassist Mike Mills, and lead vocalist Michael Stipe, and they were all students at the University of Georgia. First album came out in 1983, Murmur. Absolutely, I loved that record. Here's the situation. It's 1995. Monster had just come out. Mm-hmm. Monster was like their ninth studio album. They're on tour. Drummer, Bill Berry, he was singing this falsetto part in the middle of a concert in front of 20,000 people in Switzerland. Gets this massive headache. And he's drumming, and he just doesn't feel right. And so, like, 90 minutes into the show, he just passes out, falls to the floor. Turns out he's got two aneurysms, one that has burst, one that hasn't burst. He's in the hospital for a month. R.E.M. calls the tour, no more shows. They all stay in Switzerland with him at his bedside. Wow. For a month. Wow. When your day is long They all go home. He starts to recover. He gets, you know, he's fine, doesn't lose any cognition. They go back on the road. Multi-instrumentalist Mills had to undergo surgery for an intestinal tumor, which was benign. And Michael Stipe had emergency hernia surgery. So from that tour, three of the four guys had pretty major surgeries. They get back home. Tour's over. 1997. 
they're going to Hawaii to start doing their next record. And Bill Berry's just not feeling it. And so he tells the guys, I want out. I want to be a hay farmer. He didn't want it anymore. So in 1997, he quit the band. And R.E.M. went on to record many more albums as a trio. But there's another example of a guy in one of the biggest bands in the world who just didn't want it anymore. Didn't want to travel, didn't want the pressure, didn't want it anymore. Bill Barry just wanted to be a farmer. And he just, he was done. So there you go. Bill Barry walked away. Walked he walked away, away at their peak. At the peak. I want to talk for a few minutes about the curious case of Lauren Hill. Strumming my pain with his fingers. Singing my life with his words. Killing me softly with his song. She had found success as a member of the band The Fugees, which formed in the early 90s along with band members Wyclef Jean and Pras Michel. Their second album, The Score, came out in 1996, and it's one of the biggest selling albums of all time. It was a number one hit on the Billboard charts, helping them sell Clint over 22 million records worldwide. Bono from U2 called them the hip-hop Beatles. Huh. In September 1997, Lauren Hill began work on her debut solo record, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. And in August 1998, the album came out, debuting at number one, selling 422,000 copies, which broke a record for the first week sales by a female artist. The lead single, Doo Wop That Thing, debuted at number one, making Lauren Hill the first artist to ever debut at number one on both the albums and the singles charts with their first solo release. <laughs> Yo, remember yeah. back on the bully when cats used to harmonize yeah. like... Yeah. Yo. 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 Rolling Stone included the album on its list of 500 greatest albums of all time. It won eight Grammys. It has sold over 20 million copies, wow. making it one of the biggest selling albums of all time. All that to say, that's her one and only studio album. It's been three weeks since you were looking for your friend. The one you let hit it and never called you again. Remember when he told you he was about to bend your man's? You act like you ain't him, they give him a little trim to begin. Now you think you really gonna pretend. Like you wasn't down and you called him again. Plus when you give it up so easy you ain't even fooling him. If you did it then, then you probably Shortly after conquering the world with the miseducation of Lauren Hill, she dropped out of the public eye, dissatisfied with the music industry and the pressures of fame. So, in some ways, Lauren Hill walked away at the peak twice. Huh. She left the Fugees, and then she left her own career. her own career. For her part, she gave an interview in Rolling Stone magazine in 2021 in which she reflected on her decision to walk away. She said... With the miseducation, 
There was no precedent. I was, for the most part, free to explore, experiment, and express. After the miseducation, there were scores of tentacled obstructionists, politics, repressing agendas, unrealistic expectations, and saboteurs everywhere. People had included me in their own narratives of their successes as it pertained to my album. And if this contradicted my experience, I was considered an enemy. Artist suppression is definitely a thing. I won't go too much into it here, she said. But where there should have been overwhelming support, there wasn't any. She went on to say, The warp speed I had to move at in order to defy the norm put me and my family under a hyper-accelerated, hyper-tense, and unfortunately underappreciated pace. I sacrificed the quality of my life to help experience something that should have been unreachable before then. When I saw people struggle to appreciate what that took, I had to pull back and make sure that I and my family were safe and good. An incredible album, and she just walked away. That was an incredible album. I We listened to that album a lot. A lot. A lot. That was an incredible album. I have to say, my bandmate Brian Chartrand, he does a killer cover of X Factor, which is a song from this album. Yeah. Let's just listen to it a yeah. little bit. This could all be so simple. But you'd rather make it harder Loving you is like a battle And we both end up with scars Tell me who I have to be To get some reciprocity I mean, this is an example of the industry just being the industry and just screwing up a good thing. Yes. Like, just leave it alone. Like, it just be cool, man. <laughs> Stop. Clint, can we do our segment, Let's Go to the Comments? Let's go to the comments. Let's go to the comments. Curtis writes on Facebook in response to our episode, What's the Greatest Second Album of All Time? Really enjoy this episode, guys. Learned a few things. I would vote for Pirates by Ricky Lee Jones. Huh. Cool. Maurice Bertinsky, who hosts another show on the Pantheon Network called Love the Album, in which each episode is a deep dive into a different album. Cool. 
He responded to episode 38 on the Beatles track, Free as a Bird. He writes, Lovely episode, gents. I've been hard-pressed to find anyone to say how wonderful Free as a Bird is. People have told me that I've let my love of the Beatles blind me into how mediocre that song was. I think it's magnificent, and you guys really hit on what makes it so good. For me, the George Harrison sung guitar bridge is sublime. Thanks, Maurice. Thanks, Maurice. Whatever happened to the love that we once knew always made me feel so free. Oh, this is good, Clint. We love to share more Mondegreens, more misheard (laughs) lyrics. And this comes from you via Colleen Schuster. Okay. She shares a bunch of really good ones. Rock the cat spa. Like a spa. Where you send your cat. Where you send your cat when when the (laughs) cat is stressed out and needs some like R&R. Rock the cat spa. Sweet dreams are made of cheese. Oh, yeah. Who am I to disagree? the Vermont anthem. I've got two chickens to paralyze. (laughs) (laughs) I've got two chickens to paralyze. (laughs) On a dark desert highway. On a dark desert highway. Cool whip in my hair. (laughs) (laughs) It's Stewie. Cool whip. Cool whip. Cool whip. Ooh, let me have some of that cool whip. What'd you say? You can't have a pie without Cool Whip. Cool Whip? Cool Whip, yeah. You mean Cool Whip? Yeah, Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. Cool Whip. You're saying it weird. Why are you putting so much emphasis on the H? What are you talking about? I'm just saying it. Cool Whip. Hit me with your pet shark. Oh, no. (laughs) Hit me with your pet shark. (laughs) Keep those comments coming. Oh, God, they're the best part. Let's go to the comments. Another fascinating case is that of Bill Withers. Yeah. He became a legend with hits like Just the Two of Us. Just the Two of Us. We can make it if we try. Just the Two of Us. And Lean on Me. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might. to name a couple. He won three Grammys, was nominated for six more, is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, but in 1985, when he was still very much at the height of his popularity, he stepped away from music until he died, Hmm. decades later. He started his career in an unusual way too. He enlisted in the Navy at 17 and served until he was 26. At the age of 29, he moved to L.A. to start a music career. But music was his night gig, he would say, for a few more years. While he worked as an assembler for Douglas Aircraft, IBM, and Ford. He was making demos during that time. And his debut album, Just As I Am, was released in 1971. But he kept his day job. 
because he was convinced that the fickle music industry couldn't be trusted. That debut album features Ain't No Sunshine. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone It's not warm when she's away Ain't no sunshine when she's gone And she's always gone too long Anytime she goes away Wonder this time where she's gone One of the slinkiest, most soulful songs you'll ever find. Imagine that. He writes and records Ain't No Sunshine, puts it out, but still doesn't quit his day job. He's like, I don't trust this. Man. That album was produced by Booker T. Jones with Donald Duck Dunn on bass guitar and Al Jackson Jr. on drums. The guitarist on Bill Withers' first album, Clint, any guesses? Uh Uh-uh. Steven Stills. Come on. Get right out of Dodge. In fact, Withers would tell a story about another member of CSN that helped him during that session. He was having a crisis of confidence during the recording session. And Graham Nash came in and as Bill Withers explained, he sat down in front of me and said, you don't know how good you are. He said it lifted him up when he needed it most. And they finished the song they were working on, which was a breakthrough hit for Withers. Ain't No Sunshine reached number three on the Billboard Hot 100. The next album, Still Bill, from 1972, that was the one. featured his first number one hit, Lean On Me. Here he is talking about how growing up in Slab Fork, West Virginia, a coal mining town, inspired the sentiment within the song. When you come out of the coal mines, everybody's black. Plus, you're in a very dangerous situation. People have to have a certain trust for each other, you know what I mean? And then people become necessary to each other. So that environment, you know, will make you kind of get to understand the guy you know, working over here because you want him to be reliable. You know, I think we, we all become the composite of the places we've been and the, the people we've met. And uh, I think wherever you grow up, you know, you can go somewhere else, but you never really leave that place. You know, it goes with you. The good and the bad. I, I remember we had a phone and the people across the street had a refrigerator, so they gave us ice and they used our phone. Just the economics made people kind of share and, and uh, help each other out. You just call on me, brother. Here's another great song from that album, Use Me. Me. 
In this clip, he's talking about the mystery of songwriting, a subject we come back to again and again on this show. If you're looking through the window instead of looking in that mirror, then there's a certain amount of memory in there, and a certain amount of, of what comes out of you is just exploration, you know. Use me. It's a little bit abstract when you're just walking around trying to think up stuff. And there are no physical parts. You're just trying to grab something out of the air an idea or uh, something, and you realize that there's probably a little neuroses involved in that. A lot of it's just trying to solve the riddle of life. Songwriting is just trying to solve the riddle of life. Still to come in his career would be hits like Lovely Day from 1977. Just the two of us from 1980. But he'd always had a difficult relationship with the music industry. He tells the story of an A&R guy from Columbia Records, Mickey Eichner, telling him to record Elvis's song, In the Ghetto. Withers said, I'm a songwriter. That would be like buying a bartender a drink. Huh. That disdain led him to not re-sign in 1985 when his record contract was up, and he walked away from his career. He would say the fact that he found musical success later in life than most people did. He was 32 when Ain't No Sunshine hit. He said he was socialized as a regular guy who had had life before music, so he didn't need music to complete his life. There's a great piece on him in Rolling Stone from 2015, talking about how disconnected he felt from the music industry. He said, these days, I wouldn't know a pop chart from a pop tart. (laughs) Good for him. Side note, and not really complete thought here, but he often spoke about the fact that he had quite a severe stutter as a child I've always connected that with the bit in Ain't No Sunshine I know, I know, I know, I know I know And I know, I know, I know I wonder. wonder. We went to college with Bill Withers' son, Todd. We asked Todd if he wanted to come on the show, and and Todd said that he doesn't talk publicly about his dad, and I totally understand it, though I'm disappointed because I'd love to hear Todd's perspective on 
why and how his dad walked away at his peak. Yeah, and, and Todd must have heard all of that at the dinner table, right? I mean, totally. Yeah. And Bill Withers is one of those guys, like, you know his music, mm-hmm. but you may not, and partly because he walked away right. and shunned all the trappings of fame, you know his music, but many music fans don't know Bill Withers. Right, sure. All right, let's call our buddy Jeff Simons. Oh. Hello? Jeff, you're on the age-old question with me and Clint. Hey, Jeff. Yes. Hello, gentlemen. So glad to have you back on the age-old question. This week's question is, who walked away at their peak? That is awesome. The first thing is um, the walking away. Like Some people leave at their peak because the record company decides they're done paying for them to make music. And some people walk away at their peak because uh, life takes them out of the game. But my first thought is uh, a guy I just hate. But Billy Joel's a good answer, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Because uh, he hasn't made a record in 30 years, I don't think. Right. So that's interesting. He made so a classical he, he's, album. He didn't walk away in the sense that he still plays 20 nights a year at Madison Square Garden. But he walked away from having to play the game of putting new music out. Yeah. I mean, that's a really generous way of saying it. Have you heard that record, <laughs> Dreams, right? Like, that, he, he was smart enough to at least know, like, I'm probably done. Yeah, but he had a couple Ready? He had a couple big hits on that record, didn't he? In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep, through the jungle of downs, to the river so deep. Yeah, yeah, but it has, um, that's when he really started to sing like he was in a Broadway musical. No yes, what yeah, singing. that's true. So unforgivable. But wouldn't, I mean, if you could tell me that I could walk out of my house, get in a helicopter, fly to Madison Square Garden, play the same songs for two and a half hours and be home while uh, people are still filing out of the arena, yeah. I, would, I don't think that counts as still being in the business. That's just like picking up found money out of the street. That's a really good point. It's true. I guess Billy Joel is probably like, that was a really surprising decision to stop making music right i mean he river dreams is a gargantuan hit and it came out right after that greatest hits volume one two three four five that you know it was like the cd that came with cd players for like half a decade you know it's like Wii sports it's so interesting you know i i went down a youtube rabbit hole a couple days ago and 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 one of the videos that that i found in that rabbit hole was mick jagger doing the top 10 on letterman Mick Jagger, the top 10 things he's learned after 50 years. So this would have been in, you know, 2014 or whatever was 50 years of their first appearance on the Ed Sullivan. Number five was, nobody wants to hear anything from your new album. It's <laughs> oh, so brutal. True. It's true. And, you know, Billy Joel figured that out. He's like, why fight that fight? Clint recently went and saw Paul McCartney at Fenway. And you were telling me he played a couple songs from the new yeah. album. But if you play three hours and you play, you know, two songs, two songs, new album, album. and he set it up. It wasn't like he just played. He like set up. He's like, I know you want to hear the hits, but we're going to play the, you know, he knows. Like he's apologizing in advance. Exactly. Cracks me up. You know, the Stones are are playing Living in a Ghost Town on this tour, which for me feels to me like a hilarious attempt to make that shitty song relevant. Like, (laughs) I don't know what they're thinking. Living in a ghost Nobody goes to the 60th anniversary show and says, boy, I hope they play the COVID single they put out. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. But I, you know what? I am not that guy. I want to hear the new stuff. Like, if it's a band I love, 
like, you know, the Who are touring again, and I'm not going to go because they're not playing anything off the new record. I have heard them play those other songs right. a million times. Right. But if they were playing six songs off the new record, I would, I would like, pay big money for, for a seat up front. Huh? Yeah. It makes me sad that the big, like... You know, the last time I saw Tom Petty, he he threw in a couple of Hypnotic Eye songs, but I would have been totally happy if he had half the show had been uh, deeper, deeper-ish cuts. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining us again. It's always the highlight of the show. So good. I appreciate it. What is your, um, what's the best answer you got for Walk Away at the Top? R.E.M., uh, Millie Vanilli, and Outkast. <laughs> oh, Outkast is a great answer. I think they're probably number one. That's a great answer. Because they were oh. huge. And Millie Vanilli uh, walked away they, uh, in handcuffs. They fell, <laughs> fell off the top. <laughs> they walked the plank. Yeah. Mine is Bill Withers. That's really good, too. Oh, that's he's a great like, answer. He's the right answer. And he just walked away. And he, and you know what's great about he stayed that away. answer, too, is um, soul singers age like comedians. Like, a great soul singer has this three or four year window where you're like, this guy is the greatest singer ever. And then all of a sudden they start making unforgivably bad records. <laughs> Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, Al Green, Michael Jackson, everybody you can think of you would say is an R&B singer. They have this zeitgeist moment where you're like, oh, this everybody in the world wants to sound like this guy and he is the best. And then, and it's the same with comedians, right? Like a comedian is hilarious until they're not funny. And then you're like, oh my God, get off the stage. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I don't know what it is about soul music and comedy, but they, they have a half-life huh? and it's just over. It's over for them. And Bill Withers got out before he made the 80s disco DX7 record that would have tarnished his whole career. So it's, true. it's such a good call. It's so interesting. Jeff, so fun to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jeff. You bet. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. That was fun. All right, Clint, back to this first rule of show business. Always leave them wanting more. Some say it was P.T. Barnum, the legendary 19th century showman behind Barnum and Bailey Circus, who coined that phrase. Other phrases that P.T. Barnum apparently coined, there's a sucker born every minute. (laughs) There's no such thing as bad publicity. No, come on, that's a good one. Woo. Nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. And... Without promotion, something terrible happens. Nothing. Wow. He was a genius. That's incredible. That's an incredible life's work right there. List Let alone of everything else. Coin phrases. Yeah. The point is the first rule of show business, leave them wanting more, has become the fabric of show business. And very few performers follow that rule. Of the artists we've talked about today, who walked away on top the best? I think it's Sting. Because he left the biggest band in the world. At, at their very at their height. very height. Only to become one of the biggest solo acts in the world. That's so incredible. he did it the best. He did it the best. I love the Bill Withers story. I just love him just not needing it. You know? Right. right. Like, the fact that he was older and more mature when he found fame, or when fame found him, I just love the fact that he realized that he didn't want it. And so he didn't. Stay with it. I love that story. So the question is, did we do it? I, yeah, I think we I did. I think it. we did. I think we did. It. I think we did. Please let us know if we didn't. We love hearing from you. Thank you to Jeff Simons for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thank you to the Pantheon Podcast yes, Network. Thanks. We love being part of this network. Check out Pantheon Podcast, their incredible lineup of shows. 
some really, really good music history, music commentary podcasts. We hope you had fun, (laughs) as much fun as we did, and we hope you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.